So our professor of the Melbourne Cup was Les Carline. Mm -hmm. Bruce McAvaney guided us through so many years. And the keeper of the flame now is Andrew Rule. And we thought the best starting point today was with Andrew. Hello to you, Andrew. Happy Cup Day. That's a pretty big wrap-up there, Jared, uh, <laughs> to put me in that company. No, as uh, you're writing, absolutely. Already. No, it keeps us so close to the heritage and the magic and the folklore of the Cup. What, what has Cup Day meant to you through your life, Andrew? Well, that one. Um, 40 years ago, I walked to the Melbourne Cup from to Flemington from my then house at Kensington, and I got there a lot faster than everybody who was driving because, of course, you know, 100 plus thousand people would go in those days and I'll, I'll never forget watching Kiwi weave off the fence and weave through the field like a camp drafter, you know, like a stock horse. It was, it was a wonderful thing to watch and it, when you replay that, it seems like yesterday, you know, Mr Jazz and all those horses, it seems as, as if I saw it five years ago. He comes into the call so late in the piece. Uh, I, so late. I, yeah, I did some, uh, I wrote a piece about the race callers for the coffee table book. Um, yep. It's probably about 10 years ago now. Yep. And the next day, there was criticism of the callers that, well, how could you not see Kiwi? And then you did you watch the race? Have a look <laughs> how late seen. he flashes in the picture. <laughs> no, you couldn't blame the callers. And it's only the rare ones that do that to callers. It's Winks, you know, in that first big wind of her straight streak. Uh, it's Lonro, it's Kingston Town, those sort of horses that come out of nowhere and mow them down. They're freakish horses, and uh, it, it does make life hard for callers, but it makes it great for us who watch. It, it does. It is, there's a thrill to it. Why, why do you think the Cup has had such a hold on us, Andrew? It, uh, it's, well, it's got history. Uh, Melbourne was a the big gold boom town. It loved sport. More than anything, I think a third of Melbourne's population went to the first Cup in 1861. And that has stuck. You know, that the Cup was probably one of the world's biggest sporting events ever and has stayed that way. If you look back on it, its history is enormous. Flemington, I think, has been running longer than most racecourses in America. Longer than Saratoga, I think. Yeah. So it, it, we have a history in Melbourne with racing that is part of the fabric of society. We were an agrarian economy back then, uh, and we were until probably the the 50s, where you know the wealth of the country came from the from the the sheep and the cattle and all the rest of it. And down there at Flemington, you had the abattoirs and the uh, sale yards just across from the racecourse, and they made the money and they spent it at the races. It's just part of our um, DNA. Great to have you on the show, Andrew. I'll ask Jared first, and then we'll go to you, Andrew. Jared, have you felt something a little bit different about this year's Cup when you walk the streets of Melbourne? I was at a Calcutta last night, and, I, and like it just feels—it feels like racing's had its challenges over the last couple of years, and it will continue to have its, its challenges. But I yeah, feel like yeah. there's a different feel this time around. It's back, up, up. yeah, up, the, yeah definitely the up. Back, you think? Yeah, um, I, it, it, I think it's possibly a post-COVID. Um, Renaissance. I think a lot of people got keener on racing during the COVID break because I know at our place and others, you know, and a lot of people who aren't mad about racing, we were, um, you know, like my wife and friends and neighbours, we would gather on Saturdays and take quaddies because it was sort of the sport you could, <laughs> the sport you could follow. 
And I think that's probably had a bit of an effect. Uh, it's encouraged people to, to, to do that stuff in the spring carnival uh, and to take part in the carnival atmosphere. Also, I think the, the sheer international competitive nature of it, the multiplicity of stories in it. I mean, we've got this little French horse. We've got the, we've got the, you know, the little UK uh, female jockey, Holly Doyle. We've got all sorts of threads flowing together. And we've got uh, Ollie having his last cup ride. I mean, there's so many stories. It, it is so rich from that point of view. I, I did some reading last night. I, I read vintage, the real stuff from Vintage Crops here to understand yep. what it was like at the time. And I read Les's piece at the 150th anniversary and thought yep. so much has changed in a short period of time since even the 150th edition. I was curious, True. Andrew, the little Aussie horse is not really in the race anymore. No, um, there's, what, tw there's 20 of the 24 acceptors had started their uh, uh, careers offshore. One was a, a French breed, so you can't really count. So do you think... So Australia's people are represented. Kieran Maher's starting to look like the modern-day Bart Cummings with the numbers yeah. that he's putting into yep. the race and, and our champion jockeys are there. Do you think yeah. it's problematic that the little Aussie horse is so rarely in our race anymore? Uh, it's changed a hell of a lot in my lifetime. Um, I'm a sort of half a generation older than you guys, or <laughs> a whole generation older than one of you. Uh, but... Um, uh, I've seen that, you know, I remember a guy called Curly Burns, a farmer in the Mallee, bringing a horse called uh, Dry Wine to the Melbourne Cup. He used to lead him out of a ute around a wheat paddock to train him, uh, you know, like a picnic trainer. That, that, that sort of stuff's been dead for 30 years. Uh, you're right, it's now an international uh, quality uh, handicap, probably the, the world's staying championship handicap. Uh, it's, it's just so different. We've got, what, two Australian breeds in the race. Uh, one of them has won it. Uh, the other one probably can't, but wouldn't it be wonderful if he showed up? Um, that's what you are. Do you think the internationals have been good for our race, Jared? Definitely, but yeah. I, I think we, we do face a problem where to... To compete in our race, you've got to go and buy a horse from Europe. Yeah. And and there's all sorts of different ways to do that. The little guy can still be a part of that. But yeah. I, I do think it's challenging. If you go back and read at the time that one day it, we might find it hard to win our own race, that, that has proven prophetic mm. 30 years on. I, I, think, I don't think that will correct because yeah. there's no desire in Australian no. racing to change the breed. And I'm not sure that it would no. be successful anyway, to be frank. But... I, I feel like that's the that's the aspect that it'll be an anachronism, really. Yeah. I don't know, Andrew, what you think about this. I think, and Bruce McAvaney made this um, yeah. suggestion to the VRC, to yeah. help with the narrative towards the Melbourne Cup, I think that you need to give races like a Perth Cup, a Brisbane Cup, an Adelaide Cup, a free ticket into our great race so we can follow that story throughout the journey heading towards the Melbourne Cup. And who knows, we might get a few Australian bred horses win those other major city cups and then we can yeah. see how they can go in our cup and take on the internationals. Yeah, a local, a local farm system in a sense to yep. feed them in. And that would give an interest factor that I think matters because in the end, if you reduce racing, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm like a broken record on this, if you, if you reduce racing to being just a casino or a, you know, a roulette wheel with some live uh, animals in, the, in it, uh, 
you uh, there's a grave danger that you'll it'll run out of puff. You need people to be in love with the story, and the stories and the animal and the people mm. the way that you guys are, uh, in order to keep it going. Because otherwise, where's the incentive to be involved in, you know, paying up for a horse, unless you love the sport of it, unless you love the animal and the competition, as opposed to just a numbers game. And I, I think you're right. If we could engender local interest so that it becomes a, a little bit of a championship, uh, you know, can the Brisbane horse beat the Adelaide horse and all that, that would make it better. Um, yeah, last year seen thing. the Geelong Cup winner and the Bendigo Cup winner High as the emotion, place yet yeah. as, uh, behind a, an arc horse was, was yep. quite yeah. brilliant. Uh, Andrew, it's the perfect way to, to get us underway. Enjoy today. Uh, who, who do you fancy? Who do you reckon you'll be writing about? Well, I, I reckon Gold Trip is going to take a bit of tossing. And uh, t- the two Irish horses, Willie Mullins is overdue. I think Willie Mullins is overdue. But the one, the good stories, of course, that I'd love to see is Ollie and also yep. the little French mare for this reason. Mm. She reminds me of light fingers, not, not in colour, but in size and shape and her action. She's a tiny little lightweight. She's ridden by one of the great lightweight jockeys anywhere. That's Craig Williams. And um, you never know, she might give him a fright. And what a story she'd be too. Andrew, terrific. Thanks for your time. Enjoy Cup Day. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Andrew Rule, who is the keeper of the flame, he knows the history so well just, and the stories. Just quickly, G, who's the who's the story in today's cup? Well, you might can tell us after. Yeah, the break. Well, we can play yeah. with that in a moment. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Experience the feeling of control with Lexus Ownership Solutions at Lexus.